You're listening to Turf Show Radio. With the first pick in the 2016 NFL Draft, the Los Angeles Rams select Jared Goff, quarterback, California. John Austin and a nickel pack from the Bay. Johnson to Gurley. Down the sideline, Gurley. And knocked out of bounds, but airs it out. Drops it in the bucket. Kenny Britt is gone. Touchdown. Give it to Gurley. Gurley extending to the goal line. Touchdown. Todd Gurley. That puts him at 1,000 yards on the bucket in his rookie season. And now. Here's your host. Welcome back to another episode of Turf Show Radio. Friends, family, countrymen, non-countrymen, internet people, cyber people, cyber humans, real humans, figments of my imagination, most of you. Welcome back. It's your boy 3K, Joe Macti, with me, as always, Final Twist, Josh Webb. Josh, what's up, man? Not much, man. Not much. So far, I'm bringing with me a good stretch of good luck. That's why you're one of my favorite figments of my imagination. And we've got a lot to discuss on tonight's episode of Tertia Radio. This our review of the Week 4 performance from the Los Angeles Rams 2016. It's hard to talk about them. It's hard to enunciate your words because the unbelievable has happened for the first time in a damn decade. The Rams have a 3-1 and one record, Josh. That's real. That happened. And we have to talk about it. Yeah. Um, and they did so... Uh, with a bit of a comeback and a defensive stand and also by, and I, I really hate saying this because in order to do so, some, the, the, there's another side of that that you, that you almost have to address is almost it being sadistic, but they did it with stout defense, even knocking Carson Palmer out of the game to put it so that the rent or the uh, Cardinals, excuse me, had to rely on Skelton. There was no choice. And and dude, if you give me the Rams defense against John Skelton in a two minute drill, I'm gonna take Greg Williams every time, ten out of ten times. And the thing is, the the Rams have a history of doing that. Uh, both in general, but against Arizona. Uh, long-term Rams fans have uh, a lengthy history of uh, dealing with Carson Palmer and successors in Arizona. Before we get to the game, just want to just want to set the conditions for this, right? It's it's week four. Uh, well, obviously the, the Rams have gone three and one. We can do a little bit of the recap, but I just I just want to put some perspective before we get into the game and get into the the topics of the week because this is a a very rare moment. This is this is the first time since the first year of Tershow Time's existence, back when it was just Ryan Van Bibber. It was him rolling solo in 2006. A blog community of probably single digits. <laughs> um, it, you know, it was the wild, wild west of, of those blogging days. And, and, and since then, it's been nothing of the sort. For the last 10 years, we've, ne- we've never covered a 3 and one team. Now, what we still haven't done, we haven't covered a 3 and one team that we expected to be 3-1. We, we haven't gotten to a place where 
where we're going into a season saying, no, the Ram- where the odds are telling us that the Rams are legit, that they're a favorite to win the division. We still haven't gotten to that point. But even this, the unlikely 3-1 and one is a new place for us. And, and so I, ca- I kind of want to make sure that as we go through this, we're kind of taking stock of – just the nature of the moment, right? Because most teams, they get to 3-1 and one and they're automatically jumping forward. I think this is an important time to assess what it means to be 3-1 and one and kind of what I said in the perspectives piece, the fact that everything's in front of them. The They've never given themselves this opportunity. So they've never had an opportunity moving forward to achieve the kind of things you can achieve coming out of a 3-1 and one start. We just haven't had that for more than a decade. Yeah, and and you certainly you look around the league. There's only one team uh, that's really better than 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 the Rams are right now, uh, uh, and that's obviously the Denver Broncos. And and they may see some of their fortunes change. Um, but uh, you know, you you talked about unexpected, and that's kind of what's been a joy for me because I came into this whole thing. Uh, really just wanting to learn and to uh, grow and, and, and sort of become a natural part of the Rams community uh, as the team sort of wore on and, and, and I would be able to share in the misery of the fans and be like, God, I get it. I get it. And the Rams have gone and screwed all that up by winning. Yeah. Um, yeah, which inevitably means and the funniest thing about that, do you know, like, OK, to put this into perspective, the Rams are three and one with a net point total of negative 13 in the negative. I know in the red. They are in the red at three and one and actually own the tiebreaker if the season were to end today over a team that is 25 points in the black. That they already beat. That they already beat. Yeah, they, if the season ended today, both teams are 3-1, and one, but the Rams would win the division based on having beaten the Seahawks in the head-to-head and, and, and would therefore move on. But Seahawks sitting there at, as a matter of fact, the Rams are one of two teams right now who have a negative net total of points. And they're the only team with a negative uh, net total that's in double digits. The Houston Texans are the other team, and they're in the division lead with minus four. Gotta love it. So, you know, I, I think I think it's important to take stock of this, not just because the Rams are 3-1 and one and that's never happened, but kind of how it's happened and, and where we are. And I want to use that to start our review of the game. Uh, we we can start with the offense because obviously with the game when you when you hold a team to 13 points the defense is going to be the star so I kind of want to get the offense out of the way. Uh, yet again, uh, we're seeing a team that's not explosive in yards. So, you know, it, on a weekend where Julio Jones tops 300 receiving yards, Matt Ryan tops 500 receiving yards, the Rams aren't that kind of offense. Case Keenum, I said Sorry, it in Matt, the, Matt Ryan topped 500 receiving yards. That's a hell of a day. Did I say re- you totally passing did. yards, Rece- receiving, passing. It all counts. It all, again, we're in three and one. The words don't matter. It's all about thoughts at this point. Okay. Yeah, but I'm trying um, to picture the joy in that scenario was picturing Matt Ryan out there actually as, try, as his wide receiver having a 500 yard day. 
Like, that would be the most awkward 500-yard day in the history. Like, if I were a defense, I'd burn all evidence of film that that game ever existed. (laughs) Devontae Freeman dropping back, and it's Matt Ryan yet again on the outside, (laughs) over 400 receiving yards. Uh, No, the the Rams offense is getting it done, and I said it in a recap, uh, I think in the report card, this was one of the two best halves of football Case Keenum has played, the other being the Tampa Bay game last year. He was, like, like, legitimately good in the first half, a, a legit first half, uh, second half, not as much, but that, you know, marshaled the game and got some big plays when he needed them, especially down at the end. And we'll get to that point as well. But, but the key right now, and I'm doing a radio hit in a, what's this two hours. Uh, and one the main question that I know they're going to ask me, cause I already forwarded it is, is what are the team, what are the Rams doing to win games? And there's only one thing they're taking advantage of opportunities. That the Rams don't create a ton of opportunities. And look, they only scored 17 points, but they, they made a big opportunity earlier in the game when Brian Quick made a touchdown on his own with yet another catch in turn. We had one from Tavon uh, late against Tampa Bay. We got one from Brian Quick early in a one-on-one isolated uh, situation where after he catches the ball, he can take a, a you know the sideline for a long touchdown. And then you had a late drive after the Tavon Austin return. That, that essentially was the game winner. They're not getting a lot of chances, but the ones they're getting, they're finishing, and that's what's helping them win games right now. Yeah, and and the Rams, you know, they knew they, they – I mean, they could have easily gone away with traditional Fisher ball, got the three, and then, you know, maybe played for overtime. But Case Keenum and, and you know, Bo- Boris were sitting there thinking, no, we're, we're going to win this damn game, you know. I wonder how much of that, Joe, comes from knowing that when they've picked their spots, they've been able to get them, if that makes sense. It it absolutely does. And not only have they been able to get them, they've been able to get damn near all of them. I I think that's what's amazing. And the the, the thing that if if I'm going to start... What was it, like a 30, 40-yard reception? Dude, just sitting wide open. Like... Like, how did you, who was supposed to, I know you sent the all-out blitz, but seriously? Like. Yeah, no, it, it, it's one of those things where I, I, don't, I don't, if there's something that's going to make me start believing in this team sincerely, it's if they can keep up the success rate on, on the timeliness of big drives, of big plays, of big moments. Right now, I, I, they're, they're almost batting a thousand. You know what I mean? And so, yeah, they're, they're taking the shots that they're being given. And I think that's what it is, is like there's almost an element of this that I don't want to say it seems planned, but the Rams are playing, as we affectionately call it, Fisher ball. But at the same time, when they need to open it up, when they need to go big, when they need to get something, they do. And, and like you said, they're batting a thousand. And... I mean, in all seriousness, I, you know, three or four years ago, True's interception would have stood. They'd have been like, "Ah, he dragged the other toe. It's sure. it, it's 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 an interception." And and the Cardinals wouldn't have even had it. Had another crack right. at the end zone, which the Rams still intercepted. But <clears throat> the point there being is that when the Rams need to come up with something. They do, whether it's on offense, whether it's on defense. They dial up a hit. They dial up an interception. They dial up a PBU. 
they dial up a stop in the backfield, or they dial up just they bottle up a run that otherwise should have worked, but not for the individual effort given by the guy at, in space. You know, it's just a one on, wonderful one-on-one tackle in space, and. Yep. The Rams are dialing these up in in spades, and, you know, we don't want to put a jinx on it, but that's why I say it almost seemed like it's planned. Like, it's, it's hey, let's not let people know we can do this stuff until it's almost too late for them to do anything about it. And I think that's one of the main things. Look, there's three games before the bye. I think that's the main thread. If that's what's gotten the Rams to three and one, I think we've got to pay attention to how that plays out over the next three games. If they start, if you start seeing red zone opportunities turn to field goals, that's where you got to be concerned. This isn't a. T- I look at every all three of the games that we've won. It hasn't been by the margins where you can afford those kind of things. They've got they've got to finish their opportunities. They've done it to this point, and in those the last three games, they've gotten three wins. I don't think that's a coincidence. One of the other things I think we're going to need to track that we haven't talked about as much, but obviously with the final touchdown played a huge a huge uh, factor in the game, and did a as well against Seattle is is the the power of field position. It wasn't as big a deal against Tampa Bay because the Rams were putting up points. Tampa Bay was putting up points. It was more of a slugfest. Uh, the 49ers game to open the season, the Rams just had nothing. They were completely disorganized uh, throughout the game. But the other two games, week two and now week four, field position has been a major factor. The only reason the Rams are able to win this game is because Tavon Austin comes up with his his best and really only valuable punt return of the year when they needed it most again kind of referring back to that timeliness factor but then they tack on that face mask penalty after it field position can mean everything in Fisher Bowl it's the difference between a first and 10 at your own 25 which is almost an impossible drive to get points out of or one where you're already on the better side of the 50 and everything's possible because now the threat of the run because you got a condensed field isn't necessarily just about first and 10 it's really about setting up a red zone play i think field position is something we're gonna have to talk about more moving forward yeah and that's why i think it's so critical and and we've been talking about it on the past couple of podcasts that special teams for the rams this year you know they talked about it down there at the practice and they open up every year with with a full pad special teams practice and 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 we had our laughs about it after week one you know like maybe maybe they should stop that tradition and then special teams sort of went on to make us look the fools. And they're like, no, 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 we had it. Week one was an aberration. We got this. If you can continue to win special teams battles, you can create field position. It's as simple as that. And that, and it's a, and that can be every. Everything for the offense. Because remember, this isn't a high powered offense. Even against Tampa Bay, where they scored a ton of points, it wasn't a high powered offense. This isn't, you know, and you're a USC guy. You know high powered offenses. Oh, you I know, know when you're connected. <laughs> well, okay. Not 2016. I'm a, hey, I'm a Manchester City guy. I got it out of the way. Yeah, <laughs> you you know a high-powered offense when you see it, regardless of the sport. The Rams aren't a high-powered offense. They, they've been a timely offense. They've been a successful offense, but not high-powered. The difference between being on their own side of the field and the other side of the 50 can be everything for them. And, and, and we haven't seen them have to take a ton of uh, L's on the offensive side and force Greg Zerline to kind of scoop up at the back. At this point, Greg Zerline's been a, a secondary component 
compared to previous years, and he's been you know perfect at this point. But I want to leave some of the special teams to the end of this. I, I think if there's one thing, maybe not that worries me, but I question. Uh, the sustainability of the success of the offense and the timeliness, it's that it's happening with a guy like Brian Quick, is that you're seeing a, an intermediate guy like Kenny Britt be the guy that a lot of times Case Keenum's looking for on third down. I think there's almost no argument that he's been his most reliable receiver overall through four weeks, um, especially if you give look at the total of the targets and when he's targeting Kenny Britt. Who he's not targeting is Tavon Austin. And who's not churning out yards on the ground is Todd Gurley. And I wonder, for an offense that's limited on talent, as you get into the middle and the end of football seasons, you need to start leaning on talent for guys to drag you through games, especially when you face defenses that come correct. Uh, and Car- the Cardinals nearly did that. They, I mean, remember, it was 10-10 to 10 going deep into this game, and the Rams had a late touchdown more than midway through the fourth quarter. Uh, before they got that final touchdown, this was nearly one of those games where you're looking at the Rams putting up 10, 13 points and saying, if we could have gotten more from the offense, we might have won that game. And and, and if, if the result had been different and the output from Todd Gurley and Tavon Austin had been the same, I, th- I think we're getting to a point, Josh, where those guys are going to come in for some criticism, regardless of whether or not the Rams are winning games. As much hype as was put on them and as much talent as those two guys have, I think they're going to have to start showing something more than what they have to this point yeah uh look man <laughs> i realize that that todd Gurley seen stacked boxes i do and in so much so that i've commented on it and defended him on basically every podcast we've had and and you've accepted it and, and I've, I've accepted it but there does come a point where you say okay todd the team is winning so they know they can't stack the box every time. You got to turn one or two of those tough yardage situations into something a little bit more. That's what makes a next level NFL back. Not a guy who can surprise the league when everybody thinks he's coming off a bum ACL. Not a guy who, you know, uh, can come in after four games and catch the lead completely off guard. You have to be a guy who people know are coming, know what they're going to do, and still can't stop them. And you, you, part of it is the timeliness, too. We talked about the timeliness of the offense taking advantage of your capabilities. You may, I get it. Like you said, he's facing uh, odds against him. Right where he's got five offensive linemen and a tight end, six guys blocking maybe seven or eight guys, and in some cases nine, but let's say seven or eight defenders, in which case he's got to take one or two guys on, and that's being uh, optimistic, assuming all six of those Rams execute their blocks perfectly. He's got to, he's still got to deal with one or two guys and beat them individually. He doesn't have to do that every time, but over the course of four games – you, you got, here's what I'd say. you got to get more than what we've gotten to this point. I, w- I would tell people to go back and check Masson Adiasor's recap, great recap uh, that he dropped today. That He had a great GIF side-by-side comparison with the help of uh, Derek Klassen, QB class uh, from the staff, that looked at the, the impatience that Todd Gurley has, where he's attacking holes too quickly and, and is not uh, sitting 
in the pocket and waiting for his blocks to develop. Now, part of that is, you know, getting frustrated. And, you know, you see guys in every sport getting frustrated when they can't get things to develop. Hell, we saw it in week one. Aaron Donald, come on, threw his helmet off, got ejected, man. We've seen frustration. But you can't let frustration affect your execution of the play. And I think that may be part of what Todd Gurley's dealing with. I think maybe the other part of it is that he's looking – to make too much out of plays, and when, when you when you look to make too much, you're you're passing over the easy stuff, and and, and maybe that was something last year as a rookie, where th- where things were coming at him easy, and he was taking it, and then making a spectacular play after taking the easy stuff. He's not even taking the easy stuff in the first place, and that's making it even harder on him. Yeah, it's just it comes a point where he's got about fifty yards a game. <clears throat> you know, I think he's sitting not, there, not uh, even that. I think he's sitting at, well, four games. I think he's at, like, 215 yards. Think about that, man. Think about this. This is a guy that people were saying was going to lead the league in rushing. This is what Jeff Fisher said was a once in a generation back. And we're talking about his second season, his first healthy, potentially 16 game season. And he's on he's on pace for what? About 800 yards. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the, the, the crazy part about the Rams is in the overall numbers, the passing yards, 30th, rushing yards, 30th, total points per game, 31st. Like, it's it's incredible. It, it really is. But then you look at the fact that they're 3-1 and one, you look at the moments uh, uh, that, 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 that the Rams have created when they've needed to. You look at the fact that Case Keenum's done his part. I mean, he threw almost for 1,000 yards in the first quarter of the season. I mean, I, I, I mean seriously, he threw for 825 yards. In, in this offense, that's, that's good. That's, I mean – he, you know, 175 yards away from being on par for like 4,000 yards for the season, which in a Fisher ball right. offense would be insane. Yep, yep. So, I mean, as it stands right now, he's on pace for about 3,300 yards in the air, and he's not getting any help from his running back. Look, it can't all be about teams stacking the box because – Case Keenum's making throws. The numbers are there to support it. He's making the throws. They may not all be in a row. They may not all be on the same drive. But, you know, man, nobody's asking Todd Gurley to string together, you know, two 40-yard runs in a row. Say, hey, man, once or so a game, can you pop off a big one? You know, I, I I don't really think that's a lot to ask. And I think that's the part of the question is, do we need to start diminishing diminishing expectations for Todd Gurley and to the same degree Tavon Austin? You know, I mentioned Todd Gurley. We went over his stats. This is Tavon Austin, who, who Jeff Fisher jokingly, albeit, uh, threw out the idea of 100 receptions this season. Right now he's on pace uh, for 64. Excuse me. Week one, four receptions, 13 targets, 13 yards. Week two, five receptions, nine targets, 50 yards. Week three, five receptions, eight targets, 82 yards, including that 43-yard touchdown. Uh, Remember the catch and turn late in the game. This week, two catches, six targets, 
and 14 yards receiving. Now, a lot of people will say, well, he's a versatile guy. You can use him in the running game. Over four weeks, he's got six rushes for 24 yards and just that one touchdown in week three. Here's my question. You're right. Case Keenum's getting it done, and he's getting it done without the help of Todd Gurley and Tavon Austin. Do we need to take some of the expectations away from Todd Gurley and Tavon Austin and start putting them on Case Keenum? No, I don't understand how that would be fair. Like, why should the expectation shift to Case Keenum, who's doing his part? You're essentially that you could phrase that question question another way and say, should we then now make Case Keenum responsible for all the work that Todd Gurley and Tavon Austin are not doing? Well, you could, and yeah. and 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 it's sports. So at the end of the day, someone does have to, right? I mean, let's just be honest no, no. about it. Somebody, somebody's got to. So you could say that about Case Keenum. I just don't think it would be the fairest thing in the world to do to him. I don't think it would help this team very much if if you place those expectations on him, because as it stands, most people thought he wasn't even gonna be here right. in week four, sure. let, let, let alone appearing to be cementing his place for maybe at least a season. And and, and Goff's going to sit and learn. And, and, and I think Fish would be just happy with that, which is what I've said I think Fish wants to do all along. I think he is old school of the mindset where he wants his guy to come in and sit and learn, even if it's just for a season or two. And 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 Keenum's doing his part. <clears throat> I think it's time for Tavon Austin and Todd Gurley to do a bit more. And and sure, they can point out the various other different things that they do on the field, but they can also point out the various other things that they're not doing on the field if they wanted to. They're not going to do that, so sure. somebody has to. It might as well be us. So here would be my question, and I don't disagree with you that maybe it's unfair to Case Keenum, and maybe it's unfair in the opposite way, that we're not uh, necessarily demanding more from uh, Todd Gurley and Tavon Austin when they need to be stepping up instead of asking more from Case Keenum. Uh, Here's all I'd say as I try to bring uh, the final drive up because I want to try to go through the play-by-play. I just, I just want to add this while you do that. Todd Gurley's yeah. longest run of the season is 16 yards. The think about that, would, man. The, the, the yeah. question I would ask Todd Gurley is, do you think the best that you can do in an NFL season is one 16-yard run? That would yeah. be my and, single and, question yeah. to him. And I think the question is, is it, is it your best you can do when everybody's gunning for you? Or or do you need people not to take you as the primary focus for you to be successful? And and maybe that's true. Maybe Todd Gurley needs to not be the guy. But that, that certainly wasn't the way that we were preparing for Todd Gurley in 2016. And, and I don't think that's the way he was being prepared. Here, here's what I was going to bring up. I got it up now, Josh. We were talking about the idea that maybe it's unfair for Case Keenan to have the expectations placed on him. After after the punt return and the face mask, right? Todd uh, Tavon Austin gets his great uh, punt return finally late in the game uh, with the face mask. The Rams have the ball at the 19. He, here would be my question, right? Who who wins the game? It's 10 to 13. You got you got five. What is it? Five minutes. 
five minutes plus left in the game. Five minutes, nine seconds. Who wins the game for the Rams? Now, the answer that we got was Case Keenum and Brian Quick. A great route from Brian Quick to use his body, shield open the back shoulder throw, and uh, to be honest, a perfect throw from Case Keenum. It was perfect. Is it is it not fair to expect those guys to do it? I, I get it that maybe the, those aren't the talented guys on the roster, but no, they got it done. They were, the, they were the ones who won the game. Case Keenum, it, look, if there's one thing he can do, if there's one thing he knows how to do, it's throw the rock. Like, that was what he was asked to do at Houston. I got it that time. Eh? Didn't forget. Uh, it's what he was asked <laughs> to do. And, and you know, he, he threw a lot of passes, threw a lot of, you know, uh, pinpoint passes, and, and dropped a lot of dimes. This guy can do it. Uh, so not, a, I, I not think, a great arm, but some great accuracy. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I think to your point, Jeff Fisher did call upon Case Keenum to win the game, and he did. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think that may be that may be the thing that we need to that we start uh, reassessing how we look at games. Is that that after Tavon Austin's punt return, and you got to acknowledge that punt return along with the face mask penalty, face mask penalty. Without those things, the end of that game might look very, very different. But as it stands. After that happened and the Rams were in position to, to put forth a winning performance, they got it done and it came because of Case Keenum and Brian Quick, not Todd Gurley or Tavon Austin. That's what you got to point out. But really, if, if we're, and I saw this after the game, somebody was handing out game balls and mentioned guys on offense, and nobody offered up guys on defense. I forget who it was that tweeted that, and I just couldn't believe it. Josh, this was a game in which the Rams held the Cardinals to 13 points and, and, and controlled the game defensively, turnovers galore. And, and, and really, they, the, to me, they were the stars of the game. Yeah, this defense was, if, if, if they weren't getting in the backfield and, and, and causing problems and unsettling Palmer on nearly every throw, I mean, Palmer had his moments. You figure a team like Arizona is going to draw up some plays that they can get Palmer some time to make some nifty throws. And look, Fitz is Fitz, man. He's just He's just class all the way. Um, so you know those yards are going to come. But, uh, look, I mean, that defensive line created – what was so interesting to me is that they drove everything straight back against the Cardinals because they know that Carson is not a guy that's going to be able to go left and go right with the greatest of ease. He's going to want to try and step up in that pocket – and so they pushed that pocket back, let him step up in it, and then drilled him as soon as he stepped up into it. And you got tons of talent up front. Michael Brockers is one of the best power rushers in the game. Aaron Donald's still a freak. I mean, he's he's just unbelievably – he's not just good, he's consistent. He's maybe the most consistent player on the team. Although Trumaine Johnson uh, – made his argument uh, to be placed in that category, at least for week four. Can we talk about uh, that? Can we just talk about whether or not that should have been an interception or not? Like, I mean, can we, can we just have, like, the old school rules discussion, not this whole completion of a football step or whatever the flip it was that they were saying? Yeah, well, here's, here's what I'd say. His heel was out. I'm, I'm comfortable with it as long as it's consistent and, and consistent oh, across yeah. all teams. 
times across the entire season. Well, it, the, the the thing that bugs me is when you don't get consistency in calls. I have no problem with it being called out because his heel came down out of bounds. His toe was obviously in bounds. And as he came down, his heel touched out of bounds. I'm comfortable with that being called incomplete, but I better not see one call against the Rams from somebody else who was somehow down, and then his heel got out of bounds, and that counts as a catch. I don't want to see that once. No, and that's totally fair. I have no problem necessarily with it being called. I just – I it, it was curious to me that they immediately went to, oh, he wasn't trying to drag his toe in this scenario, in which case that would be a different situation because I'm like, I don't know, those look like ballerina points to me. Uh, but all right, man, I, I guess, you know, whatever. I Personally, I thought it was an INT. I thought he was dragging the toes, but you're right. As long as it's consistent, I didn't really have a problem with it, more so that I thought it was a really spectacular play and, and maybe maybe deserved the nod uh, just based on effort alone, but you can't really do that. <laughs> I mean, so, uh, but, but I honestly, you know, I was sitting there thinking, I'm like, you know, three or four years ago, there would have been nothing wrong with that. And, and the thing is, that's not just a good catch. That's a great catch for a cornerback. Yeah. You see a, a hell of a lot of cornerbacks who can't even come close to completing that catch. And, and here's what I said. You know, this is, you got to remember, this is a season right now. I've got the Minnesota-New York Giants Monday night football game on. Janoris Jenkins, who was the Rams' primary cornerback, who was part of what Les Snead called priority A this offseason and returning his secondary, lost two guys. He lost his free safety, Rodney McLeod, to the Eagles, and he lost Janoris Jenkins to the Giants. Trumaine Johnson got tagged. In, in essence, they tagged him because they weren't comfortable giving him the long-term deal as as a starting cornerback without Janoris Jenkins. And it's not necessarily because of true. It's because they have to see how he works out without Janoris Jenkins. Go back two years ago. Remember that it was Trumaine Johnson who got hurt and EJ Gaines who stepped in and had a phenomenal rookie season. Somebody we're about to mention, by the way, making his return. Trumaine Johnson has to step up in a big way in 2016. He's got all the motivation in the world to put up a huge year and then land a huge contract and then finish out what should be a very successful NFL career. And I thought week four is the kind of game where you look at and say, not only does he deserve it, but I I want the Rams to be the team who gives it to him. Yeah, week four is the type of week where I'm not saying you, you get at the table, but week four is the type of week where you get a hold of his agent and say, hey, listen, we're going to start the process around here of, yeah. of, of, of working on drawing up something. If, if your client has interest, uh, we want to keep him here in Los Angeles. And, you know, we wanted to see how, he, as you said, we wanted to see how he was going to function well, frankly, without, you know, the, the, that entire battery that had become the nucleus of, of that secondary, when, when you lose two, two-thirds of it, I can understand the hesitancy to not want to go all in on just one of the three because it's right. what you got stuck with. And, and to be sure. clear, it is what the Rams got stuck with. Not that they're not yeah. extraordinarily happy to have Trubane Johnson, but when Rodney McLeod... And Janoris Jenkins bolted. There is no way in hell they were letting True get out the door. It, it was not happening. 
So they did have to do something. And if it had been uh, if it had been somebody else that was the only one left, they would have had to do it to him too. So it was sort of a last man standing situation. But as you said, through four games of the season, you know, this is where you make that call and say, hey, if he stays healthy and, and, and this sort of play continues, uh, we need to start getting together around maybe after the London game and start talking about a contract, a new contract. And it's worth thinking about the progression of Trumaine Johnson within the system, right? Go back to his rookie year. Remember, Trumaine Johnson and Janoris Jenkins were both rookies in the 2012, the RG3 trade draft. The same year that Fisher took over, the same year that he brought who he wanted to be the starter through a free agency. That was Cortland Finnegan. And I know, I know things look different now, but Cortland Finnegan had a pretty damn good season with the Rams his first year out of free agency. And it was it was Cortland Finnegan and Janoris Jenkins as your starting cornerbacks. And then you had Trumaine Johnson and Bradley Fletcher behind him. So that, you know, things certainly looked different in 2012 based on the rookie seasons and the fact that you had two plus rookies and a quality veteran at the time in Cortland Finnegan. The cornerback position looked pretty strong. 2013, you get a year later, Bradley Fletcher's gone, but they bring in Brandon McGee as the depth guy. Things still look decent, but Cortland Finnegan started to fall off. And and some of his, what's the right word, Josh? His hijinks, his uh, on-field personality. Shenanigans. I love shenanigans. His shenanigans. His shenanigans. They started to, they started to outshine the play. His shenanigans, when they're matched with quality play, you could, you could, they're kind of, uh, the, the kind of he, thing that draws you to him classic when he's on Diego your team. Costa, isn't he? When, he is. Yeah. When he's on your team, Carlos you love Santos. it. Yeah. Well, yeah. When he's on your team and he's getting the play done, you love it because it comes with good play. Once mm-hmm. the play drops off, it's like, yeah, there's no reason to tolerate that. So what happens? They go out and draft EJ Gaines, add uh, Marcus Roberson in 2014. Trumaine Johnson springs his MCL before the season starts. So EJ Gaines, a day three rookie, has to get plugged into the starting role, and he does great. He has a great rookie season in 2014. Janoris Jenkins pairs well with him. Trumaine Johnson sprinkles in as a third guy. So now you've got this three-man rotation. Everything looks good. LaMarcus Joyner's barely a component of this defense after a rookie season because he had some injuries too. And then last year, LaMarcus Joyner steps up. EJ Gaines is out for the season. Trumaine Johnson and Janoris Jenkins become a one-two. So there hasn't been any real solid consistency through that group outside of Janoris Jenkins, and he's the one who's gone. So, you know, I, I, I get really I get why I, they didn't. That's, yeah. that's, that's a totally fair point. I mean, you mentioned all of that, and financially, fiscally, from a contractual standpoint, like you were just about to say, and I mean to cut you off, it makes so much sense why they didn't do it. Maybe it's not what you want to hear as a fan, but – if you're the Rams and you have all of that data in front of you, how would you have followed it if it were your paycheck and not your team? You know, like if this is your pocketbook, you know, you you, you think a little bit differently. And I'm sure that Tremaine Johnson's a guy they want to pay. Like, I, I don't think that there's any hesitation on the Rams' part to pay Tremaine Johnson I think they just want to make sure that the level of play he's going to offer is going to be consistent with what he's been doing for them in the past when optimally healthy. And if that's the case, go ahead. No, no, finish your thought, man. 
I was going to say, and, 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 and hopefully one of these guys like you were about to get into with EJ Gaines, hopefully he can come back, play that natural opposite, and you finally get a consistent one-two tandem for the Rams that they can plug in there moving forward. And 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 yeah. they can just leave it alone. And then you have Lamarcus Joyner as your nickel, or whatever the case may be. Uh, I still think that kid's got immense talent, or just a body you can rotate when when you want to, you know, spell out one of those two guys. Uh, but I think in an ideal world, you'd have EJ Gaines and you would have uh, Tremaine Johnson playing across one another because of the two most experienced guys. Yeah, and the thing you got to remember about Tremaine Johnson, this is the first time he's taken over the top spot on the depth chart. It's always been Janoris Jenkins. And, and so whether it was Cortland Finnegan or Tr- Tremaine Johnson or EJ Gaines in his rookie year was, those guys were filling in across from Janoris, right? So this is the first time that we've seen Tremaine Johnson have to take over that top spot. And again, week four did a great job. But I, I also think it's worth pro- pointing out, and this is you know kind of what you alluded to, the the lack of certainty they had in terms of relying on him long term, having yet to push him in as the CB one, led them to their free agent buy, which was Cody Sensabaugh, and I think most people would agree that hasn't been a successful free agent purchase. Now that's not going to kill the team. They've already moved on. They moved on weeks ago when they installed Troy Hill, and now you've got EJ Gaines coming back healthy, and he certainly had a, a fun for for somebody who hasn't played since Christmas Eve 2014. EJ Gaines had a hell of a return performance. But this is the kind of thing where you look at it and say, this defense has talent all over the place, and you got you got to give some credit to coaching because whether it's EJ Gaines at cornerback or what we're getting on the defensive line rotation, guys are able to come in and make plays in a way that the offense rotation is. Yeah, and and they're doing so in a consistent fashion, which is a strange yeah. thing. Like the names that you would expect and need to step up on defense are doing so, but the guys that you might not have known about are still coming in and having that usual up. The Rams just know how to build a defensive factory sort of feel to it. Uh, yep. It really does. And it, it just, it's so the polar opposite of the offense right now. And, yep. and the offense needs to catch up because uh, I mean, look, defense will win you a championship, but at some point the offense got to put something on the board. To get you in line for one. Yeah, yeah. no doubt. And that's the thing. We started off in saying, look, Case Keenum, Brian Quick. defend a zero-point lead. Yeah, exactly. We, we, we were saying Tavon Austin and Tavon Gurley aren't getting it done when Case Keenum, Brian Quick, Kenny Britt are. On defense, all of them are getting done. The Robert Quinn and Aaron Donald and Trumaine Johnson, maybe your Tavon Austin and Todd Gurley of the defense, they're getting it done along with everybody else. Now, one thing I did have on here is the cushion of death. Have we have we talked about the cushion of death? Have we have we explained the cushion of death to you yet? No, we've not. All right, so here's the cushion of death, and we saw it multiple times this weekend. Yeah, uh, I, I would invite. Uh, Los Angeles uh, fans who get a chance to uh, pay attention to this moving forward and maybe go back and rewatch the game if you have the capability to do so. Watch to see how deep the cornerbacks for the Rams play off of wide receivers. Uh, the answer is it's very, very, very deep. That Rams corners are usually about that. like ten yards almost. It's it's something like that. Seven, it's something seven, seven, eight. 
<laughs> you know, and when it's third and three and they're seven, eight yards off, that's kind of strange. But you're, you're going to notice it, and, and I want to point this out now because we're four weeks in and it's time to start upping the education factor. Going back to Steve Spagnuolo, the previous head coach for the Rams, he likes to play, and you guys can watch him. He's you know got plenty of tape as defensive coordinator all over the uh, all over the league now, multiple spots. Um, Likes to play his cornerbacks up on the line. That's why he had guys like uh, Bradley Fletcher, uh, who played a very physical brand of football. Ron Bartell, who would play on the line and disrupt guys before their routes got started. The Rams don't play that. What they play is defensive line pressure with blitz packages, and then pull their cornerbacks way deep off. So that if you want to go for a little one-two yard pass as soon as you snap it, you can have it. And then LaBarcus Joyner and Maurice Alexander and TJ McDonald are coming down and hunting on you right and here's the thing you can you can have that two-yard pass if you want but it's going to hurt and after it starts to hurt by the time you get to the second half you're not going to want it to hurt and again anymore that that's the way this defense works and we saw it you saw the hits right anybody who watched the entire cardinals game saw the hits that were coming from the rams defense you all saw the tj mcdonald looked like his Looked like his vintage junior season at USC with that one pass uh, there. I think it was in the fourth quarter where he just hit. Um, I can't even remember. I, I didn't pay enough attention to which well, which guy. You're gonna see more. You're just see drilled more. him in the back, man, and it was just like, yeah, that was TJ McDonald. And that, that's what this defense is set up to do. They set up not to necessarily defend the pass through the air, but to force you to go underneath and accept the hit. And eventually, you stop wanting to do that. And you have to figure out one of two things. Either A, you're going to test the Rams down the sideline or deep because nobody wants to go over the middle. Or B, you're going to start forcing problems because guys get scared and they drop the ball. Or guys start getting fumbles because they're not focusing on catching and, and running through hits. Or quarterbacks just don't want to go over the middle and they want a perfect throw. And when that happens and you got coverage, you get a nice coverage sack. So, I, I, you know, this is something I want to mention. We haven't gone through the cushion of death. I, a lot of times it's going to frustrate people because you're going to see on third and three, you'll see a quick slant for three yards. And you'll say, why are the Rams giving that up? And the answer is they want to allow the offense to get comfortable doing that so that over the course of 60 minutes it hurts. And we saw that. We saw how it works, and we had to point that out. I think the problem is this is the one risk that we got going forward is that now we've got some stacked-up injuries at defensive end. We had William Hayes, who was injured going into this game. Robert Quinn went down, and he's got an injury now. You're, you're dealing with maybe some some thinness at the defensive end position, albeit a position that has exceeded with guys like Eugene Sims, Ethan Westbrooks, and even Matt Longacre this week. Uh, there's reason to think that the Rams, On the Rams can get... injury report, Quinn is not listed. So Williams Hayes is listed as doubtful. Um, yeah, he's going into last week. Uh, what, yeah. But Robert Quinn picked up the injury mid-game. Oh, yeah, so we'll, yeah, excuse me. Yeah, you'd be right. All right. No, you're, but, but even though the Rams practice on Tuesday, remember the first injury report isn't going to come until Wednesday. Mm-hmm. It's one of those Fisher mind games, but we'll just have to see how it plays out defensive end. Maybe not the worst thing because, again, the Rams can get production out of defensive end, but it's the kind of thing, remember, Eugene Sims got ejected in week three. If you deal with anything else, just a mid-game injury – to somebody, you're going to start getting really thin at defensive end real quick. I wouldn't be surprised if we have to deal with a roster change 
uh, to maybe pull somebody up or shift some things around. Look, if Cody Sensabaugh isn't going to be a part of this secondary anymore, that's a roster spot that you can fill with somebody. We may need to bring up a defensive end to put that in just in case. And Chance, the guy will be completely legit, slot right in, do well, become a rookie. No, I'm just joking. You know, I, I mean, hey, you're joking, but you're not wrong. Yeah, this is the, this is the thing, man. When you have a system like that in place, and you talk about things like the cushion of death and the system and things that are designed to inflict pain, <clears throat> to invite a team to become so comfortable in one type of game plan that they don't realize they're getting lulled into a trap because that game plan is going to stop working down the line. The Rams know that the other team doesn't. And then even if the other team does, they're comfortable testing it because they think they can beat it. And, 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 and not only does it not work out, or, or maybe even if it's 50-50, when it doesn't work out for you, look at Carson Palmer, right? Yeah. Look at look Ben at Roethlisberger last year. Yeah, exactly. It, 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 when, it, when it works out, fine. You, you get enough points. You can maybe, <laughs> maybe come away with a win or at least a win against the Rams. You can put off 20-plus points, right, which as an offense you count it as a win. But when you lose, the, 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 the depth of the loss, the profundity of the loss can be bigger than any win. Yep. It could, it's it almost like saying, yeah, but at what cost? Exactly right. Yeah. So, speaking of cost, we, we mentioned special teams. I wanted to give some time for special teams to hi- highlight them. Johnny Hecker and Greg Zerline, man. I mean, it's easy enough to say they've been perfect. And I know for most teams, they're an afterthought. If you go back to Rams fans last year, there were tons of them that did not want Greg Zerline on this team. Despite the fact that he can boot, and I, we, you guys haven't even seen it. New Rams fans haven't seen him kick 60, 65-yard field goals. He can do that. Like, that's that's one of those things where you say, I like what he's done so far, and that's enough. Oh, no, no, no. He can he get you a man who can do both. He, he can do that, too. He's got the leg to do it. Along with a Pro Bowl, you know, a perennial Pro Bowl candidate in Johnny Hecker, throw in Tavon Austin on punt returns, Benny Cunningham on kick returns, and the coverage. The Rams haven't let up big returns in coverage either. The special teams, I know we're talking about the defense, but you could make an argument special teams has been the best unit on the team through four weeks. Of Hecker's 27 punts, 18 of them have been inside the 20 or better. Zero of them have been touchbacks. Zero. <laughs> That's nuts. Think about where he's punting from so often. Because because this is such a limited offense, he's not he's not often punting where he's getting to pin the defense. He's got to boot the ball, and he's still getting it inside the twenty. That's nuts. I can't. I I didn't realize he hadn't kicked a touchback yet, man. Nope. Got a long of sixty four though. And yes, you can actually say that special teams are perfect because Zerline is a perfect uh, 5 of 5 with a long of 53, and he's 6 of 6 on extra points. So you you can actually say that they're perfect. And look, man, look, if, if, if you were a special teams coach and I said, all right, through the first quarter of the season – uh, your your kicker is going to be 100% on both field goals and extra points, and your punter is going to be averaging 44.5 yards with 15 kicks inside the 20 and three kicks inside the 10. 
uh, will you take it? I would every time. And every single special every teams time. coach in the NFL would be like, "Yeah, what's what's yeah. the catch?" Yeah. Oh, you have to come coach in Los Angeles with the Rams. Oh. <laughs> but hey, you get Greg Zerline and Johnny Hecker. So when you get that <laughs> kind of talent, that's when yeah. you get the old Lou Brown. I got a guy on the other line about some white walls. <laughs> Let me give you a call. <laughs> that's funny. Uh, that's a very good impression, by the way. Well done, Josh. Uh, here's here's what I'd say. We we haven't seen uh, a Rams game come down to a kick. You know, a game that's thirteen thirteen with time expiring, or or even the opposite, where the Rams are losing. 13-12, 13-11, and Greg Zerline has to make a kick. We haven't seen that yet. We haven't seen a game where he's missed a field goal and the other team is driving down five where the, the field goal would have made the difference and a touchdown would you know lose the game, Th- those kind of things. Uh, those games are coming. There's going to be games where uh, Greg Zerline's not perfect and maybe even where Johnny Hecker's not perfect. Uh, and we're going to have to deal those. But I, I think you, you've got to point out that as, as razor thin as the margin has been for the three wins in the last three weeks, the fact that special teams has been perfect has been part of the reason why those have even been possible. And I think that's a main point to make. And, and I think that's a fair segue, Josh, into this. Uh, the, the one thing I'm trying to press everybody on TST staff to really get out there as we get into week five, you know, Rams home game is – the sustainability of this. We're talking about an offense that isn't getting anything from Todd Gurley and Tavon Austin. We're talking about a defense that's been very, very, very good and connected a lot of what they're trying to do up front with, like we're saying, the physical punishment at the back. Special teams has been perfect. The, the margins for error, especially because of the timeliness of the offense, is very, very, very thin. And I wonder how long you can string that together. You you talked about the numbers. What would you say? 30th on offense in yards, 30th in passing yards, 31st. Whatever it was, it's not good. Uh, and the fact that they're relying on turnovers, especially some turnovers deep in Rams territory this last week, I, if there's a worry that I have, it's that it, they can win games the way they have the last three weeks, but that they're very close to losing those games too. And I worry how sustainable it is to keep this up. Uh, I think it's a little bit more sustainable than people might believe. Um, Look, the toughest game probably left on the schedule for them until their bye is the Giants, just because of the way their offense is gelling right now. And and it'll certainly be an interesting test, man. I'll I'll tell you what, man. I I will definitely be looking forward to Tremaine Johnson and and Odell Beckham. Um, But, you know, Detroit (laughs) and I speak quasi-authoritatively on the Lions through my podcast partner for my Manchester City podcast, American Citizens, City with a Y, if any of you Rams fans out there happen to be Manchester City fans also. He, uh, he's, a De- he's a Detroit guy. <laughs> and uh, it, it, the we record on Sundays and there's, I don't think there's ever been a positive conversation following the Lions. (laughs) So it's usually, it's usually about 20 minutes of, of gray doing just a thorough lambasting of the team and how pathetic they are. And look, if, if 
Gray is it believes that they're that awful, I, then I believe that they are that awful. So I kind of look at that one and say, okay, this one, now with the Rams where they are, with the Rams playing defense like they are, with Detroit being as bad as they are, I'm going to say that should be a winnable game. Buffalo. Hold on. We're going through the upcoming schedule. I think Buffalo should be a winnable. It is, Okay. It is a winnable game. I will not go as far as to say should. It is a winnable game. Uh, then I look at the Giants and I say they might be too much. Really? You think the Giants? Hey, I'd say this. It's in London. It's at a neutral site. I know it's a home game, but it's at a neutral site. Giants are struggling against the Vikings tonight with a very quality defense, something that the Rams are. The Rams and the Vikings, I said this to a lot of the guys from uh, Daily Norseman uh, last year. I thought those were very similar teams, and, and they played each other in Minnesota. The Rams uh, were winning at the half. The Vikings ultimately won the game. It was a pretty ugly game, a kick fest that the Rams, you know, you could argue should have won. So, hey. Here would be my question is, what? why do you think the New York, Gi- New York Giants game would be a more winnable one, albeit on a neutral field, versus Buffalo at home or obviously Detroit on the road? Now, I look at a team like the Giants, and over the years, they have been rather consistent in the way that both they manage their offense and defense and, and, and the balance and the relationship between the two but also their run-to-pass ratio. I think they do an excellent job with it. Um, I really do like what the Giants have as as an offense. Uh, Odell Beckham, probably uh, one of the future uh, uh, players. Well, I want to say the future of the league, but I don't know if he's going to go that far. You know, I... I don't. I don't know what his mentality is, but he certainly got the talent and and the the media wherewithal to do it if he wanted to do it. Um, the Giants, I also think, just have they've been a bit more consistent for me, even when they've not been consistent. You know, okay. you know when the Giants are good, and you know when the Giants are bad. And right now, the Giants are pretty dang good. And I, I just think that this is going to be one of those Giants teams that, barring injuries, is going to have a good season. And, and, and they've always been a team built for success. They're, uh, you know, I mean, outside of the Steelers, and, and really, it's not even really outside of the Steelers, because in my opinion, it's 1A, 1B, and you could put either family at 1A. But, the you know, the, the Maros and the, and the Roonies are, are just the two best owners in the leagues. And it's just such a well-run organization uh, that, I, I don't know, man, I just, I think you you said it probably best in in the opening of the podcast when we were talking about whether or not this was an expected 3 and 1 for the Rams and it's right. not so at this point we need to be convinced that it's people and teams like the Giants that that right. they can overcome uh people yep. like Eli Manning people like Odell Beckham and I just think that until that happens, 
it would be too big of a hurdle for me to overcome in feeling confident enough to place my money on the Rams for a victory. Fair enough. Here's what I'd say. One uh, little point. Obviously, we're in the middle of this Minnesota-New York game on Monday Night Football. Uh, New York, uh, last three seasons has been uh, – well, excuse me, last two seasons. Three years ago, they were really struggling. But last two seasons, top uh, of the league, top half. Uh, offense last year finished sixth in points eighth in yards right now they're second in yards going into the night in the nfl they're going to have the offense they got three wide receivers who are all six foot or shorter uh victor cruz uh odell beckham jr and sterling Shepard, who are all producing great numbers for eli manning and obviously the running game as you mentioned is a quality compliment the thing that's hurt them is the defense Two years ago, it was the bottom of the half of the league defense. Last year, it was one of the worst defenses of the league, and that was under first-year defensive coordinator Steve Spagnuolo, former Rams coach. If Steve Spagnuolo can start turning around this defense and it looks like he's getting there. I mean, the Giants kind of had some of their major defensive plans go up in smoke. With Jason. Yeah. Yeah. Fireworks, Paul. It has look. It happens. It, but it, no, I mean, that's no, no blowing than... your hand off with fireworks does not <laughs> happen unless you're a dumbass. <laughs> okay, let me put it like this: You're going to lose guys over the course of a season, whether it's to the freak nature of injury in a game or the freak nature of stupidity on July Fourth. How about that? I still remember. I think the greatest one ever was Joel Zumaya guitar heroed himself way too hard when the Tigers were in the World Series, and it wound up costing them a couple games where they didn't have a closer, and that and and and, and it wound up uh, ultimately costing them the uh, a, a potential title that year. But it was all because Joel Zumaya Zoom Zoom wanted to. Uh, wanted to play some guitar hero and he and he messed up his wrist hey it happens when you're shredding man um what would be what would be the uh the be- i'll go with uh jeff kent i know i'm de- i'm i may be dating myself there but uh and switching sports but go ahead and check out a little jeff kent injury uh one thing i want to talk about before we get into the close is roster changes. We've seen a couple throughout the season. Look, we started off with a Cody Wickman, Jamon Brown switch on the offensive line, and Jamon Brown was inactive this week. That looks to be a permanent thing. That's interesting. Uh, the Troy Hill replacement of Cody Sensabaugh and now EJ Gaines coming back. Obviously, we got to see what happens on the defensive end front, but I think the big one that everybody's interested in seeing, I don't know if that's the right word, but at least I am, is once you get Farrow Cooper, fourth-round rookie, and Nelson Spruce, undrafted free agent uh, wide receiver, rookie when you get those guys back if there was a candidate that may be going into the season that you could have picked to be the first guy out it might have been brian quick for the wide receiver group now that those guys are coming back brian quick's got three touchdowns you got to look at mike thomas bradley marquez i just think it's interesting how how time changes things the Rams are going to have some roster decisions coming up, and part of it is the injuries at defensive end, but part of it is because they've avoided injuries, and they've been one of the healthiest teams in the league, man. Yeah, yeah, and 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 the thing that sucks about being one of the healthiest teams in the leagues is you never know exactly when that injury bug is going to hit, if it's going to hit, <laughs> or when it's going to hit. And, and it's just that it, it looms. It looms so large. If, you know, it, 
I've always wondered, and I've always wanted to ask players, you know, when, when you see, when you have one of those years where nothing happens to your team and the you see other teams in the league basically just dropping like ducks, you just almost want to ask them, like, what, how do you, how does that play with your mentality? You know, like, and, and I'm sure the answer is you can't think about that. Like you literally can't or, or you will get hurt. Um, yeah. So I think I probably just answered my own question, but I've always found that, that the psychology of that rather interesting because the Rams have had uh, a quite a bit of luck thus far, especially at the key positions and, and, uh, you know, they've certainly got guys on there with a history that could go down at any time. And, you know, somebody, nobody would be surprised. And so there, and I think I just think it's an interesting time only because not only have they stayed healthy, but they're at three and one. So you got this convergence of getting healthy when you've been able to manage get, getting this start without having to play your number one overall draft pick. The Rams are kind of in the perfect storm of having the problems you want to have, right? Other teams are dealing with real problems and struggles and questions and those things. The problems that the Rams have right now are the problems that you want to have. Winning games before you get Todd Gurley and Tavon Austin going. Winning games while dealing with some inconsistencies at defensive end in terms of the personnel. Winning games while being perfect on special teams, knowing that if you can do that, that your offensive defense should be coming along to support them in bigger and better ways. Big question for Fisherball, but you got to assume that's the case. I think it's the, the, the right the right combination of factors for them to be able to absorb things like injuries and maybe a, a step back from the special teams. That's got to come at some point on both fronts. Uh, but, but the upcoming schedule, look, I said in the perspectives piece today, it's about opportune, opportune moments. This is an opportunity to come back three and one home game in Los Angeles against Buffalo. Then you head out to Detroit. Then you head to London for the giants, uh, winnable games. Like you said, <clears throat> They just got to take advantage of them, and they've done it through four weeks. Uh, we'll have more to say on that, obviously, in the preview podcast coming up uh, later this week. Uh, some college draft talk, Josh. Uh, interesting week on that front. Um, you know, the, the the marquee game probably was the college, uh, the Clemson Louisville game, only because it came on Saturday. I thought the Friday night game was spectacular, and you know, for for a Washington program that uh, has not been in the spotlight for some time, damn it, if they didn't earn it and and show why uh what were your big takeaways from week five down at the college level well i mean first and foremost it was probably one of the crazier weekends right i mean three games in which both teams were in the top 10 that's rare yeah i mean it it was it was insane Uh, just how many different things i mean north carolina Starting to get the better of FSU. I mean, that's kind of awesome to see that program going up and up and up in football. And and what's so crazy about North Carolina, nobody ever mentions this about North Carolina, dude, is they have a high-flying offense and they kill you on defense, man. They murder people. That is a vicious defense. So vicious. And Clemson doing what they need to do. Ohio State just continues to roll. You expect that they'll be back uh, uh, 
in the thick of things, uh, Oklahoma continues to be what they are under Bob Stoops, which is a mystery. Uh, <laughs> Texas, uh, I don't know if, if, if it's Charlie Strong or I, dude, at this point, I just don't know what's going on with Texas, man. Like, that, they're, that program is just so weird to me. Uh, UNLV, man, taking down Fresno State again. I have said this time and time and time and time again. Tim DeRuiter is not a head coach. He should never be a head coach again. He does not know how to run a program and has basically turned Fresno State in into, well, a shell of its former self. Uh, but Boise State getting a win over USU. Just, it really just always sucks. To, it's just always Boise State in that dang conference. Yeah. And and I can't believe that USC went and got a victory like that. Um, not just, I was going to say, not just a victory, but... I mean, they beat them down. They beat... And USC, they did, man. <laughs> I mean this Washington this Washington team is going to be very interesting to watch because it's a, they they have this kind of result against Stanford and but they also have an overtime game against Arizona where you're like huh well, I think that's the thing is it's college and you know the 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 variety that you get from from any team week to week can be uh, really difficult to deal with and I, I think we're just gonna have to see with them it, it's an interesting slate coming up obviously you got the Texas OU game it's not anywhere what it's been years past in eras past uh, but it's still Texas Oklahoma uh, that along with LSU Florida and Auburn Mississippi State dominate early. how about this how about the non-start by Oregon is this the this this has to be the year Washington ends it right this is the year it's, Washington well, ends that streak right if they do, if they don't, I, I think that says less about Oregon and more again about Washington. This this is Washington's year, man. They have to take it. Everything's out of the way. Oregon's out of the way. USC's out of the way. I don't mean to be rude about that. That they've got everything. They're not out slipped. of the way yet. They still got to play them. Look at you. Okay, I see you, dog. See, even in the darkest days, you still hold on. Washington, That's what I'm talking about. Washington is twenty nine and fifty one against USC all time. No matter how good, no matter how good they've been, it's a series that USC tends to win. Now, here's what I'd say, which is a much more interesting game for USC than anybody would have believed. What four months ago, four years ago, number twenty-one Colorado. Okay, how hard is that? how hard is it to say that number? No, it's not at all. You know what, it's man? Now, my guy, my guy, Jimmy. Our guy JB Long will know this, man. But I've been talking about Colorado and and this team as a program that should be exactly what it is. I've been talking about yeah, dude, this team is 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 got loads and loads and loads of talent on it. I mean, they truly do. And they they Obviously, once they got rid of Mike Bone, who was the worst AD in the history of ADs, yeah, it, it, yeah, it, it just it sort of opened things up for them. And 
ever since then, I thought they've recruited really well. I thought they've brought in some great players. Uh, I, you know, Sefo Lifau, man, I have been saying for some time that this guy is one of the Pac-12 best players. Like two years ago, there's proof in this. Two years ago or so, Athlon came to us and had us rate uh, the top 50 players uh, or whatever, or some, some crap like that in the Pac-12. And, and they did it as a poll. And uh, I actually put Sefa Lufau in, in, uh, in my uh, top whatever back then just because I thought that kid has the talent that he's showing now, man. Colorado is probably the most gorgeous campus in the Pac-12, like truth be told. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot going for it, and certainly, I think the thing is that hasn't. That's always been the case, and they haven't lived up to that. Uh, that middle slate on this upcoming, and we can we can talk about this on the next podcast more in depth, and maybe uh, you know select how we want to approach this because you got three games in that middle slate: Colorado at USC, which I think is a huge game, even though it's been relegated to Pac-12. I wish ESPN had picked that up. Tennessee at Texas A&M, that's number nine Tennessee who refuses to play any decent football in the first half and then plays college football playoff caliber football in second halves against number eight Texas A&M, which is loaded with NFL talent. You got If there's an NFL draft game this week, it's probably that one. Uh, number 25, Virginia Tech at North Carolina, who's number 17 now. I think that's going to be real interesting. That's going to be, you're going to have to find your provider. Uh, the late game is going to be Alabama Arkansas. Arkansas. That's at seven o'clock Eastern, four o'clock uh, on the West Coast. Number one at number sixteen. The late slate is, is is not great. If there's two things you can look at, it's Washington, Oregon, uh, coming up on Fox. Florida State at Miami. Nobody's been talking about Miami. They've crept out to this number ten ranking because they haven't really played any Sorry, quality buddy. teams. Hey. Hey, if Florida State may have fallen in the rankings, there's still plenty of talent there. Brad Kai is one of those guys who mm-hmm. NFL draft guys may have seen the name, but because you know they haven't played, they played what Florida A and M, Florida Atlantic, Appalachian State, and Georgia Tech. Miami hasn't really had any headlines coming their way when we've been looking at Louisville, Houston, Clemson, Alabama, all these other teams. This could be Miami's run. They got Florida State, UNC, Virginia Tech in these next three. Uh, and then Notre Dame following that. Hey, well, the, Notre Dame, you got to start looking at and saying, okay, is that how how much of that is just name recognition? But no doubt, there's still name recognition there. It's just one of those things that Miami now has crept into number ten real quietly. But, but Catholics versus convicts has always had sort of a sure. Notre Dame no and Miami always sort of seem to do something fun together, and especially from an NFL draft, uh, you know. Yeah. Uh, perspective there's plenty to look at there uh, i think there's plenty for us to unpack and maybe we can look at that from a more uh, nfl perspective a deeper nfl perspective versus college football i could talk college football with you all night man i'm so ready for october it's going to be a dope month on the college front it's going to be a dope month for the rams dude I, I i'm i'm maybe more excited for week five and i know i know you know getting rams football back in los angeles you know when you had monday night football that was exciting because it was just the los angeles rams again week two the the first game in the coliseum and the pomp and circumstance obviously red hot chili peppers CeeLo, and all the luminaries the gold jackets and lebron and stan crock and the silence and the coliseum done up and all this stuff this is the chance to settle in and say, okay, now it's no longer a novelty. 
this is this is real. Get used to it and, and get get adjusted to it. And, and if the Rams and, and I know they're not in charge, we didn't really get a chance to talk about this much. But the logistical failures from the first game, if they can get a lot of that stuff fixed out and start working on the fan experience and, and melt that into what has been successful football, I think that's the 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 best thing the Rams can do is not play so badly this year that they turn off this new fan base. So. Even though the even though the offense isn't great and they're getting by again, we've talked about razor thin margins. They're out three and one. They're coming home. If if they can skirt by and get through long enough and capture some headlines and capture some optimism and build into 2017, this is the kind of game where you can see them doing that. When people can turn back and say, "Look, I remember when I went to Week Five." People were hyped because the Rams were three and one. They were coming home. This is the kind of game that you can build an experience out of. Yeah, yeah. This is the kind of stuff that, as I've said, the Rams needed to have at the beginning of the year. They needed to have yeah. these moments. They needed to have these opportunities. Well, they happen now. They happen down in these stretches where fans are looking for reasons to buy into the team. You come out of this by maybe two and one. Shoot, I mean, if you come out of the by even three and zero, oh, uh, <clears throat> I mean, regardless of what happens at the back half of the season, and you hope, you know, I mean, obviously eight straight losses would be less than ideal. But if, yeah. if you had a Rams team that started seven and one, or good lord, you know, an eight and one, good or, lord, you know, something like that. <laughs> I mean, dude, I. I can't even begin to tell you how many tickets would sell for next year. I love it. I, I, lo I love the speculation. I tell you how many people would be freaking out about it and how people would catch Rams fever. And, 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 and in a way, it would justify everything that the NFL Cronky, the you know NFL Network, and, and so on and so forth, HBO did – uh, to to create this hype surrounding the the Rams coming into this season. So if if the Rams can can truthfully, you know, shoot even six and two, and you know, I I, I mean, it, look, this is this is a team that it maybe maybe we were the ones who didn't know something when Jeff Fisher. With what said that he's not going to tolerate seven and nine bullshit because he doesn't think this team is a ten, even a ten win team. Like think about it, this team is if they come out of the bye at three and zero. If we go one more quarter of the season, the Rams are are at are at six and one. I mean, all they'd have to do is win half their remaining games, and they're a ten win team. I, I love the fact that the Rams have gone three and one for the first time in a decade. And we're, and talking, we're talking about them. About just get undefeated through the next three. Which <laughs> Yeah, just get just just get through the next three. <laughs> but that's the that's the good thing, right? Is that they've engendered the, the optimism for this kind of opportunity. And that's that this is how the fans should and I get it. Rams fans who have watched this team for the last decade have been beat down there's no question the rams had the worst record in nfl history for a five-year stretch from 2007 to 2011 i recognize that this fan base has endured more than most will ever have to deal with in a lifetime no doubt but that that's the standard josh that we should have 
for our NFL franchise, especially one that starts three and one. We said, say, look, you got started off three and one and haven't been perfect. Start start ironing out the wrinkles and figure out a way to win these next three winnable games so that when you get into a tough stretch, you've already got that advantage. And that's the thing that I think I'm hoping we can get to, whether it's in these next three games, whether it's under Jeff Fisher, whenever it happens collectively as a fan base we should be saying that this is what we expect it's not it's not going eight and eight it's not well i just want to see improvement and wait for next year this is year five for jeff fisher that shit should be done it's not unfortunately and that's sad and that's you know part of what happens when you got a fan base that's been battered down by by the years of losing football but no doubt that where we should be as a fan base is expecting that uh so i'm excited for this week on turf show times we're gonna have a ton of coverage obviously as always all the pregame reads ton of stuff going on q a with uh, Buffalo Rumblings, the SB Nation site for our friends over at, uh, you know, reach Buffalo out to Bulls them and see if they want to join us on air this Thursday. I think we need to. I think we need to have somebody on for our preview podcast. Uh, check out Derek Class and QB Class. His film preview is always can't miss stuff. Uh, I'm going to try to get a couple uh, thoughts down this week. Uh, number one on Tavon Austin and Todd Gurley and, and you know, do we need kind of what we were talking about earlier? Do we need to worry about them, or should we take solace in the fact that the offense is getting things done around them? And and when do we start expecting the offense around them to continue to to provide instead of uh, waiting for them to step up? Uh, but I think we've also got to look at one thing we didn't really talk about tonight, and that was penalties. The penalties really hurt, and for somebody that uh, you know offered what Jeff Fisher said was a culture change this offseason that certainly looks like a big pile of bullshit i'm interested to see uh moving forward how fans deal with this idea that the penalties are not a bug they're a feature that's not a defect the penalties are going to be there and, and when you got big gains and they show up that hurts more than often yeah no doubt but i think you got to keep pay attention to the fact that the rams are winning games and they're winning games in spite of the offense they're winning games in spite of the penalties they're winning games in spite of the the approach to football that makes you sit in the fourth quarter and say what what are we doing how why are we playing football this way why are we going for it on these downs why are we drawing up these plays why are we going for two why what 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 or you know not going for two why are we challenging these plays? what are you doing challenging this that doesn't make any sense and yet here we are three and one man the, the rams have gotten here in spite of themselves and if they can do that Maybe they can keep it going and get into an even better place in spite of themselves. And I think that's what they have in front of us. Tersho Radio review of week four. Your boy 3K fight on twist. Hit us up on Twitter. We're going to be taking some questions on Twitter, Josh. I think we got to get some more from the fans. We do. We do. Um, we have uh, we have a boatload of listener questions, actually. Do we want to rattle them off lightning round and close this yeah, out? Yeah, yep, let's do let's it. Go you got them in front of you, or am I looking? Oh no, for no, them? no! You you got to pull them up there. On they got they got sent to us on. Uh, Lenny sent out the uh, the tweet from the TST official account, and uh, I can't pull that up in front of me, but you can. Well, let's take a look there, old friend. Let's do on the old tweeter. Oh, and while you're looking for that information, I too am actually working on a couple of pieces. I've been trying to 
lay low in the writing department to absorb uh, the Rams. Uh, Not to absorb. Yeah, I, I did, knowing nothing about him, I didn't want to jump in and just start writing stuff like I'm some sort of authoritarian. I wanted to, to sort of take in, and I'm working on a piece about my first full, uh, I guess you could say, quarter of uh, a season being a, quote, Rams guy, unquote. Um, so uh, it, it'll be a taking a look at that and my experiences uh, through talking to fans and dealing with fans, uh, how they view the team versus what I experienced and, and how interesting that is. Not that they were wrong. The history obviously proves that they were right, but just sort of talking about how oddly fun and, and weird and different it is to be, you know, following a team for the first time that you're like, this isn't supposed to be happening. They're supposed to be losing and they're not. So it's, it's, it should be a very interesting and fun read uh, for those of you who've poured I don't know how many tears into this team over the years. I'm trying to make it lighthearted and fun, but at the same time, you know, just sort of put out there what I think I've learned about the team. Uh, And I'll be interested to hear all the feedback that comes my way. And I'm sure there will be a lot of it. Of course there will. I'm looking forward to that too. Sounds like a good read. Here's the uh, questions that we got from the tweet. Uh, Good stuff. Our daily 23. That's at our daily 23, Brian daily. Please tell me how I'm supposed to feel because I forgot what I did the last time the Rams were three and one Ryan looking at your picture. I don't know that you were alive the last time they were three and one. It's been a long time. And you look like a young man, a quality young man at that. Uh, I don't know. I, I, 2006, I was in the army. I probably wasn't, uh, let's see three and one. I would have been at Fort Meade. I wouldn't have been able to watch the game. So I don't, I don't know what I was doing. I was probably making sure my bed was made, and I was I was doing army things. Josh, two thousand six. Where where were you? How were you feeling? What were you doing? Sitting at a bar on the east side. No, um, <laughs> I, I actually I think I was no two thousand six. I was just finishing up my undergraduate or just starting it one of the two i was i was really in the middle of a drunk haze in 2006 but uh uh that those were peak usc years those those that that was like during the heyday of usc so that those those were good times for sports back then truly a drunk haze for all of us eric litster that's e litster as penalties what exactly is fish doing to stop them rams top five penalties since fish took over hashtag all talk the answer is nothing eric nothing is going to (laughs) (laughs) like you said rams top five penalties since fish took over uh that's gonna be here for a while we should get some listener submitted you guys send in your list. Tweet us your top five penalties that have happened, and and the penalties that get submitted the most. We will read the t- the next top five on air. We'll 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 star those bad boys up, and and we'll read the top five penalties 
uh, on air if you guys send in enough of them. I've got to go back. I've got to go back and look. I, I'm I'm pretty sure it was Oakland Raiders. I want to say 2009, and it was was it Lawal Glover? Who was it? It was somebody that took a late roughing the quarter roughing the passer <laughs> penalty. Uh, that that might be one of my early submissions as a Rams fan over the last decade. That still pains me to no end. That that was those were the dark years. You want to talk about dark? The opposite of 2006 USC with the golden era. Oh man, it's drunken haze indeed. Uh, next up, Jaron Guzman at Jaron Guzman J E R R E N Guzman. For those of y'all that want to holler at JG. Great win, even with all the mistakes. We will take it though. That's kind of the point. Is that even with all the mistakes. They're getting wins. Jaron's right, man. We're getting it done. Yep. You take a win no matter how they come because the alternative is a loss. Lanny tweeted out with the questions uh, a gif that says, yeah, I have a lot of questions. And we got one back from Uncle Ram. That's at the Uncle Ram. For those of y'all that ain't given Unc Ram, give Unc a follow. Big Yonk. Uh, Clemson fan. Uh, Chelsea fan. But most importantly... Rams fan. So we got to give the Uncle Ram uh, a follow if you're on Twitter. If not, join Twitter and follow him. Well, it's Uncle Ram. He's allowed to. We love the Unc. Uh, His Jeff response was, how dare you? No, how dare you, sir? How dare you, the Uncle Ram, respond and not provide us with a question to close out Tertial Radio with because you would have had the platform. We would have happily responded to you and your dirty, dirty Chelsea tactics, your Clemson love. Or, more appropriately, your affinity for the Los Angeles Rams, who in 2016 are 3-1, and Josh. That's it. That's, That's the it. baseline. Yeah, the Rams are... The answer to it, all of life's questions is 3-1. Well, I don't remember what podcast it was, but it was one of the ones we were doing a couple weeks ago. And you had asked me how I would feel if the Rams played shitty football on route to 13-3. and three, And I told you I'd feel great. Because if, if that's how you get to 13-3, and three, that makes everything okay. That's We're there light, right? Yeah. We're there. Yeah. That's where we are. The Rams have played some, some stupid, weird, ugly, inconsistent, uh, undynamic football. But they've done it and gotten out to three and one. So if they can just do that some more, everything will be hunky-dory. Yep. It basically boils down to the fact that, like I said, you take a win any way you can get it because the alternative is a loss. It's, it's <clears throat> for me, I close it out. I'll close it. You know, my portion out of the podcast by saying this, you know, in sort of the quarter of a season uh, that I've been watching, it's been a joy to see this team gutted out. They all right. Look, they they took a tanning week one, no doubt. But the way that they've responded from that and 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 the adversity they faced since then has said to me this team is capable of learning from it. And that bodes well for the future, at least of a season. And I am as excited as any of you to see where this team goes now moving forward as we enter into the second quarter of the 2016 NFL season. I can't wait to see what's going to end up happening, and we're going to be taking a look at it next when I host 
next Thursday or this Thursday. Excuse I, me. I think for me the, the the inviting factor is that it's at home. This is only the second home game, the only game at the mm-hmm. Coliseum before the bye, and the fact that the Rams are three and one. If I say this, if the Rams don't get Los Angeles' best at home for this game, I don't know when we're going to get it before 2019 because this is it. This is a as meaningful an early season game as you can ask for. It's a winnable game. It's an opportunity, and it's one where the home crowd can mm. play a part. So, th- and there's, I do there's have no to say way. this, man. I do want to say yeah. whatever it is that's going to be said about the Buffalo Bills up in these leading weeks. I am going to be extremely kind because both Nikel Roby and my guy, Kevon Seymour, who I think was one of the most underrated quarterbacks in all of college football uh, coming into the draft. Um, look, man, my man Kevon Seymour has, is, is not just an outstanding quarter, quarterback player uh, and representative he is a fantastic human being, and I know that the Bills bring on a lot of those SC guys, and I got a lot of respect for him. So I'll have some fun, but I'm not going to be too malicious with the Bills because there's way too many young men on there that I respect at a very, very personal level. And well, and the thing is, malice isn't needed because it, it's not a malicious brand of football. It's physical. No. The Rams play physical, but we don't play malicious. And that's the good thing is that can translate down to the fans where, like you said, we can recognize that this is a game. And, and look, the Rams are going to bring it. And, and there are good people on the other side. And let's be honest, some of the – some, listen to me. Most, if not all, of the Buffalo Bills fans are great people. And I'm sure you guys will see that when we hang out with Buffalo rumblings leading up to the game. The, the big thing to remember – it's time for Los Angeles to show up. It's time for Los Angeles to put its footprint on the Rams and to put a footprint on the three and one season. And Final you know twist. Josh that, like to put a foot on the throat of the Bills. Let's do it. Fight on twist on Twitter. Your boy Josh Webb at 3K. Josh, any last words, man? No, none. Holla at us. Go Rams. Three and one. Hey everybody, it's Neil Patel, editor-in-chief of The Verge. I host a podcast every week called The Verge Cast with my friends Paul Miller and Dieter Bone. We've got a rotating cast of characters from our entire site, which is about technology, how it impacts culture, and how that is all a big cycle that causes us to have a wide variety of feelings that you can listen to every Friday. We've done over 300 episodes in the six years since The Verge has been around, but you only need to listen to one, the latest one, to get caught up on everything in tech news. Verge Cast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else. So you listen to podcasts, check it out.